0: Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Andrew Keel. Andrew is the CEO of Keel Team LLC, a MHU Top 100 owner of manufactured housing communities with over 2,000 lots under management. His team currently manages over 30 manufactured housing communities across more than 10 states, totaling over $50 million in assets under management. Andrew is an avid Ironman competitor and also husband and father. Wealth Science, I bring you the host of the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast and 2009 Mineral Water Bowl defensive MVP. Andrew Keel, welcome to the show, brother. What's going on?
1: Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And like I was telling you offline, I mean, your your college football career is a sight to see. And I'm going to put links to your highlight reels in the show notes for this episode for people to check you out. Um, oh, man, that's awesome. I, I was up late last night doing a lot of research on this, but um, but. For the people who don't know who you are, Andrew, I mean, if you could take just a couple of minutes and introduce yourself and, and share your background to the audience.
1: Yeah, happy to. Um, so I grew up around Orlando, Florida, and uh, ended up getting a, a football scholarship to go to uh, South Dakota, play Division II football at a school uh, called Augustana University in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Had a blast up there, made a lot of great friends I still keep in touch with to this day. Uh, after college, I went over to Finland briefly uh, for 4 months and played on a club American football team, which was an absolute blast. Uh, I came back and buckled up and, and went into the real world, got a job uh, with a marketing firm and was there for 4 years, started as a sales rep and worked my way up to a sales manager position. Uh, all the while, I was interested in real estate. and. Uh, Basically, was starting to wholesale on the side and flip houses on the side, and then eventually left that position, went full time into you know real estate wholesaling, single family rentals, that kind of that kind of deal. And through that wholesaling experience, I started mailing out yellow letters to different lists, right, like uh, probate leads, things like that. And one of the calls I got one day said, hey, we have uh, two mobile homes up in Ocala, Florida, which is you know an hour and a half north of where I lived in Orlando. They said, if you come up, you know, we'd be interested in selling these things. We need to get rid of them. So I went up there. I looked at the homes and I didn't know anything about mobile homes. I mean, just the stigma was all that really caught me. And I was looking at these homes and they were vinyl sided, shingle roof homes. And I knew that they had to cost you know, a pretty penny to build those things. And all they wanted was $2,200 for both of them. So it was $1,100 a piece. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just buy these. I got the titles. I came back to Orlando and I got on YouTube and typed in how to make money with mobile homes. And up popped a a presentation done by Mr. Lonnie Scruggs. Not sure if you know who Lonnie is, Uh, but he wrote a book called Deals on Wheels. And it talked about like creating mailbox money through selling mobile homes on contract. So I kind of went all in and I ended up selling those homes. I got a down payment and then sold them for, uh, you know, on an installment contract and did really, really well. So I wanted to do more of that. So my goal was to offset my monthly expenses with mobile home income, with with mailbox money, as, as Lonnie Scruggs says. So I went out and did 19 of those Lonnie deals, as they're called, where I would buy a home, fix it up a little bit, maybe just clean it out. And then I would sell it and get, you know, two thousand dollars down payment and two hundred and fifty dollars a month for, say, five years. And I did nineteen of those, and it was it was great. I was able to offset my monthly expenses, and you know, then through the process, I met a park owner that owned an entire community, and he said, "Hey, Andrew, you know, you have a good model, but you're doing it wrong. You know, you really should look at buying the whole park." And I was like, "You know, I'm not I'm not a millionaire. I don't have the kind of money to, to be able to buy that." and he's like, "Oh no, you could use other people's money." And I was like, "You know, really? Tell me tell me more about this." So, we went out to lunch and he literally told me how I could use other people's money, we could partner, and how commercial real estate worked and the benefits of owning the real estate with depreciation, with, you know, more leverage, more financing options, and I was hooked. That was like my aha moment. So then I just went 100% in, you know, cuz my monthly expenses were were were, were covered. So then I was like, I had the time to go 100% into mobile home parks. I went to all the boot camps. I read the book Trailer Cash. I, I mean, I networked with everybody I could get my, you know, get on the phone with. And long story short, I I was able to find a deal, you know, through wholesaling marketing. You know, I was mailing letters, I was calling, and I found a deal up near St. Louis. And I reached out to someone that attended the MHU boot camp with me, and he was able to be my money partner, so he helped fund my my first park, which was called Quail Run in Edwardsville, Illinois. Still own it to this day. It's a beautiful property, and uh, yeah, so we bought that park. I did, a, you know, I was the, the the sweat equity partner, boots on the ground. We infilled like eight homes, and you know, did some other improvements to the park. And uh, it, it just really was a great project. We were able to refinance out within two years of, of buying it all the initial capital plus you know, another 300 or 400 grand. So it was like a really big home run. So the person that I partnered with, he said, hey, let's do it again. So we ended up buying four more parks together, just that partner and I, and he was my only equity partner for all five of those. And we still own all five of, the, of those parks today. Uh, but then once I started getting on a roll, my friends and family came out and they said, hey, we would like to get involved in some of these deals. We see what you're doing and we like it. So friends and family started reaching out to invest with me. And then you know, outside of that, people started to reach out to me from podcasts I was on and things like that. Uh, so now we raise money for mobile home park uh, and self storage. We recently got into self storage. There's some complementary aspects of that asset class we really like, and uh, yeah. So we pool together investors' capital to acquire uh, mobile home parks and self storage facilities, and you know we're cash flow based. So we're uh, just really excited. We have 33 mobile home parks. Uh, And we have two self storage facilities right now. So uh, we have another mobile home park and another self storage facility under contract. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're at.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, this story is is crazy and how really you started to like, <laughs> you said it in the beginning, the stigma of that first mobile home. And you're like, wait, what am I doing? Wait, you, you're trying to sell me what? And um, I'll, I'll tell you, Andrew, there's a lot of passive investors that listen to this show. This show is wealth science. It's not necessarily a real estate show, but there are so many passive investors that listen to this show that I talk to on an everyday basis. And they're like, Jesse, you want me to invest in a trailer park? Are you <laughs> out of your mind? I mean, Andrew, can you just take the mic for just a couple minutes and just help my audience overcome that stigma, just as you did, and show them why manufactured housing communities are such like an incredible investment and why you focus on them?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll start with the the three main top reasons. Number one, it's the only asset class that has a, a constrained supply, right? So every other asset class you know it makes sense to develop new and to you know build more well in mobile home parks it's very hard to get a new development approved because you know nobody really wants a mobile home park in their municipality and also it's a loss leader you know like it costs on average around 14,000 a year to put a child through public schooling and the mobile home taxes are taxed like a car or a boat you know you pay personal property taxes at the the DMV and likely, that's only $100 or $200 a month. So it's it's a loss leader for municipalities from that standpoint. And you know, at the end of the day, there's higher and better land uses. So mobile home parks are being torn down every single day. I think I was looking at a, an article the other day for um, uh, another article. And, and basically, like 10 mobile home parks in the last five years have been torn down in San Antonio. And they're being redeveloped into multifamily, into you know, other higher and better uses. So that is, that is a huge reason right there is the supply is shrinking. The number of mobile home parks in the country is shrinking each and every year. Number two, the demand for affordable housing is, I mean, off the charts. And, you know, non-subsidized uh, affordable housing, you know, the most, the most affordable way is manufactured housing. It literally can be built for half the price of site-built housing. Half the price because it's more efficient. To, you know, it's built in a, a factory. You know, when they build a manufactured home, they can fit the waste in one trash can. I mean, they're building you know about a thousand square foot, and they can fit the waste that they you know materials that they have to throw away in one trash can. If you go look at a job site where they're building a single family house, you know, a site built house, look at the trash all over the the, the lot, uh, and, and you just you just shake your head. It's just not as efficient. So. Demand uh, is off the charts. Uh, And then another reason why mobile home parks are a great investment is, you know, the financing available, right? So it's affordable housing. The government agency lenders, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, are lending in the space. So they by far offer the best terms uh, for people that are investing in mobile home parks, you know, three percentage. Now, obviously, this is, you know, as of today, but you know, 3% interest rates, uh, you know, interest-only periods of 5 years, 30-year amortizations, and you know, they, they are helping fuel investment into the asset class because of such great terms, which ultimately lead to better returns to investors, right? So that's, that's probably another big reason, right? Like, why do we invest? Well, we invest not to tell our friends at the country club that we own you know, X, Y, and Z. We invest to get a return. And people are gonna look at those yields. But mobile home parks, because of that stigma mentioned earlier, people are nervous. They don't, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the very first investor that I approached to invest in a mobile home park with me. I I brought him a deal, I brought him the, the, the business plan. And I sat down at lunch with him. And we're at this, we're in this high rise, you know, at this nice lunch place. And I start showing him the numbers and he looks up at me. And I've known this guy for, you know, since I was a little kid. He coached my my little. Little league basketball team. And he said, Andrew, I love you, but there's no way I'm investing in a trailer park with you. And it was the numbers were insane. And, you know, the numbers were great. And that project went on to earn, you know, double digit, you know, mid 20% cash on cash returns. But it was the stigma that caught him and made him say, nope, I'm not going to invest in this. So uh, I know I kind of got long winded there, but I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. Oh, my, my mobile home parks
0: yeah no i i appreciate it. like i said i talk to similar to you so many people every day you don't know how powerful the asset class is and just to your point about demand um, we were under contract with a 141 lot portfolio earlier this year i executed a test ad on facebook marketplace and i received 125 notifications in 24 hours. (laughs) In In one day. In a pretty tertiary market too. This wasn't a large MSA, which made it even more insane. But I tell so many people, Andrew, that the demand for affordable housing right now in this country is absolutely insane. It's why mobile home parks are such a great investment. Um, But my my next question for you, as we kind of transition here, I know you're a huge, what I love is a huge value add um, owner and operator. You guys look for underperforming parks. What are some ways to kind of increase value of those parks? What's kind of the methods that you guys use to kind of achieve those incredible returns for your investors?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, I would say one thing that we kind of specialize in is infill. You know, that's probably the hardest value add component of mobile home parks is bringing in homes to fill vacant lots. Now, the majority of mobile home parks, I think it's around 80% of total, all the mobile home parks in the country are owned by mom and pops. You know, so it's a very fragmented asset class. And these mom and pops, a lot of times don't owe a lot of money on these things. You know, they've owned them for 30 years and they've you know, paid them off or they've only refinanced once or something and they have a lot of equity. So when we go to buy these, these assets, uh, they aren't operating them as efficiently as they could, as, as efficiently as a professional management company would. So when a home moves out, instead of refilling that vacant lot right away, they let it sit. And same thing with vacant homes, we're looking at a deal right now in an amazing market in Arizona, and it's a hundred lots. It's owned by uh, an older gentleman who's 78 years old. And back in the day, he used to rehab the homes himself when they would go vacant. Well, now there's 50 vacant homes just sitting there. 50 are occupied. He hasn't touched this thing in 20 years, but there's 50 vacant homes that are just sitting there. And he said, you know, some of them need three grand worth of work just to get them livable again. And that is the key. That is, that is where there's so much value because professional managers come in. We can rehab those homes, get them occupied. We can infill the vacant lots. Uh, we can bill back for water sewer. You know, that's another big one is mom and pops would just pay the water sewer for everybody. And what happens? All the tenants use more water than they otherwise would. So we'll come in, put sub meters on all the homes and start billing back for that. And we we find that water consumption drops by like 33%. So it's a green initiative. Plus it also is a a better investment. Um, So those are just a couple of ways, you know, in addition to making the properties look better, you know, fixing the deferred maintenance, uh, you know, cleaning them up, new signage, fencing, so forth uh, to ultimately get them to be approved for better financing because right? I told you earlier, like the government agency lenders, they only loan on properties that are stabilized, that are in good shape. So it aligns our interests with our investors and with our lenders when we clean up these, you know, older properties that mom and pops have kind of, you know, lost control
2: of.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Just your note about the water piece. I mean, just in, in my experience, just telling people, shooting out a newsletter, hey, we're going to start billing back the water. That alone gets the kind of the wheel spinning in tenants' heads and they naturally stop consuming less water, which, I mean, great point by you. It's a green initiative, you know, overarching, which is awesome. I mean, I love that too, but obviously it decreases expenses and increases NOI uh, for the park, which is awesome. I mean, all, all great methods and, and I love those tactics. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, looking back on the last several years, Andrew, as you've scaled from that first park in St. Louis to now over 2000 lots. You know, what are some of the economies of scale from you being the CEO of managing that? I mean, I, you know, who's working under you? What does kind of the park management system kind of look like? How responsive are you guys to, you know, problems within the parks and, and stuff like that?
1: That's a great great question, Jesse. You know, one thing, you know, the first 5 parks that I told you about earlier, I managed those 100% myself. You know, I was opening the mail, I was Mailing out the checks. I was doing the accounting. I was talking to the managers. Uh, I was talking to the tenants. I mean, it was it was very hands on. So I would say one thing that we've done that's been a game changer is just added good people onto our bus. I mean, we have forty three employees now. We have an on site manager at every single property. That's a part time on site manager. Uh, typically, they live on property and have the nicest home, and uh, you know want to see the property improved, and and you know. And improved upon it, just look better. Um so those are on-site managers. Then we have off-site you know asset managers that manage and work with the on-site managers. Uh, and then we you know we have our own accounting team now. so it it's just been tremendous uh, to be able to build a team. And you know I, I told this to someone the other day. I said, we manage our parks so much better now because we have specialized divisions, and we have that team compared to when it was just me doing everything, from taking out the trash to mailing yeah. out the checks. To talking to the managers so uh we've come a long way and it's been an amazing ride uh, i'm a believer and i truly believe that you know god has blessed us with with a lot of really great opportunities and great people so that's that's why we are where we are today
0: yeah i mean having the right people on the bus i think that was a uh, a, a knock to jim collins good to great i don't know if that's what you're thinking about but yeah. he, he, he writes that in his book and And yeah, I mean, I love that concept. It has to start with the right base. The right people have to be in the right positions and aligned to the right problems. I I love that. And I think it's so important to success of any organization. Um, You know, I was curious, you know, when looking at the investment structure of some of these deals, you guys do a lot of syndications and every deal is deal dependent. But what are some of these types of returns that you notoriously get for your investors from these deals? I mean, what's the typical cash on cash look like? The average annual return and stuff like that.
2: Robusta Move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life, good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robustamove coffee. Try it today.
1: Yeah, you know, every deal is different obviously, you know, depending on how much value add there is and so forth, but you know, what we shoot for is a double digit return. So that's, you know, uh, you know, mid teens uh, and above. And if we exceed that, great, but that's really what we're shooting for. What I, why I think an investor would choose us? is not because of what numbers we can put on a pro forma but because of what experience we've had in the field i mean i've learned so much uh from just owning parks that it's it's unbelievable i mean you you know i've attended the boot camps i i tried to self-educate as much as i could but there's so many intricacies to this business that you know i was able to pick that up you know on the job training as you will so that's why people choose us because i have made mistakes that definitely has not been every single you know park was a was a home run. We've made mistakes. We've overlooked uh, things in due diligence that now we make sure to get checked. Uh, so our due diligence process has evolved from you know the, the first couple of deals that we've done, um, and it gets better every single deal that we do. You know we learn something new. So I think that's why people would choose to invest with us is because of our experience and because of our track record.
0: Yeah, and I, I get asked this all the time and it's like, you know, Jesse, I don't have enough time to invest in real estate. I love real estate. I don't know what I should do. And, you know, we start talking passive investing and, and people are like, where do I start, Jesse? Like, how do I know what a good general partner looks like? And I tell everybody the number one thing you have to do is look at someone's track record you know, to vet a good general partner, they need to have a good track record and to be what I would refer to as a proven operator. And when you look at someone like yourself, who's been doing it for several years, 2000 lots, I mean, we've talked about the systems and processes of how you guys are doing this. I mean, in my opinion, it's the Kiel team's a home run. It's a no brainer. Um, But I I get, yeah, I get asked that all the time. And I I just want to get your perspective on it as well. Um, We're getting ready to wrap up here. I just want to pivot for a second because I love talking self storage too. And I I know you guys just recently got into it. I just submitted um, a $1.25 million offer on a deal in Oklahoma City. This deal, it had, uh, it sits on ten acres, and there's a section of storage, and there's nine acres not being used right now that we're looking to mm. utilize for like boat and RV storage and stuff like that. So, what what's kind of been the pivot for you guys at the Kiel team to kind of start looking at that asset class as well?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I would say there's very, it's very complementary, you know. And the the leading reason is if you look at NOI growth over, you know, the last three recessions, you'll see that self storage. Self-storage and mobile home parks have been the two leading asset classes uh, for that, for NOI growth, meaning that there's value to be added and that there's consistent demand for the product type. So with self-storage, that is our primary reason for getting into the asset class is that we think we can add value and create good returns for our investors and for ourselves. Uh, And then it also is complementary to mobile home parks, where the management is fairly, you know, fairly simple, you know, and it it can be automated so that it's easier to scale uh, where in other asset classes, you know, property management is a a huge, uh, you know, endeavor, but with it, with mobile home parks, where the tenants own their homes, you know, and we're just renting the dirt underneath of them, uh, that is, you know, somewhat easier to scale, not to say that it's easy at all because, you know, it's mobile home parks, it's affordable housing, that there is, you know, struggles to that, Uh, but with self-storage, you know we're able to add that. We're able to uh, increase that. And then also we're looking at what's going on from a macro level in the economy. You know there's a lot of um, transitions happening, you know, from baby boomers, uh, downsizing to you know millennials coming up and preferring to rent. Uh, so self-storage, if you look at the supply metrics, uh, it's actually you know increasing every single year. The need for square footage of of storage is increasing. So, It's a a pretty awesome asset class and we believe in it long-term.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that's incredible statistics. And like I was saying, this deal in Oklahoma City, like another like concept is like this boat and RV storage right now. And I think more RVs were purchased during 2020 to 2021 because of COVID. People can't go to the cities than at any time in our history. And now Mm -hmm. these people need a place to put them. And it's just like, it's crazy right now, the demand for storage. And when you look at operators like Amazon, and how many goods are being pushed out into the world? Like those goods have to go somewhere. You know, people have to put them someplace. So I, I love the concept of storage. And I'll just caveat one last thing. And you know, finding an asset also where your tenants don't sleep there. It's it's also yeah. kind of just another, you know, slight benefit to storage. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was great. And last thing I wanted to hit you on before we get ready to wrap up and talk a few non real estate related things, because I love doing that too here. Um I I someone who's a proven operator, I mean, has been in the business for over a decade. I mean, I like talking markets and stuff like that. You know, Andrew, where do you kind of see the market kind of flowing here from a mobile home park, commercial real estate kind of center over the next few years? I mean, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic right now where, you know, we, you know, POTUS, you know, we invested so much stimulus into the economy and stuff like that. I think there might be some people, you know, who are worried about investing right now in real estate because of you know, where we're at in the market cycle. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I mean, where do you think we're heading here in the next few years?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't think it's gonna be that bright. I do think that we're due for a, a recession. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics at play. Uh, I was just reading um, an article from John Malden, Malden uh, Economics. And he was stating that you know there's been few, if any, uh, in heavy inflationary environments That haven't ended in a recession, and that stuck out of me. And I, I I mean, I think there's a lot of big real estate investors and just other investors that I follow that are saying the same thing. And especially on real estate Twitter, if you're ever on there, I mean, you could tell uh, that that we're due, right? And I think everybody knows it. I mean, I think I saw an article yesterday that like housing prices in every single market across the entire United States, every single market is up, like. That's that's that seems like 2006 to me. So I think we're due. Now, I do feel very safe in mobile home parks, you know, being the uh, affordable housing, being the lowest uh, form of, you know, non-subsidized housing. And then same thing with self-storage. And if you look at uh, the occupancy rates of mobile home parks and self-storage through the last few recessions, you'll see that they remain the same or actually increased. So, Uh, I feel very safe in those asset classes, but I would be very cautious, uh, of, you know, starting new developments of subdivisions or something like that at this time.
0: Yeah. And, um, I mean, I think mobile home parks fared very well during the COVID pandemic. I'm not sure if you guys had any issues with collections or anything like that, but I mean, overall, I think the industry did very well.
1: Oh yeah. We averaged above 95% collections, which, uh, you know, back in, in March of 2020 you know, we were scrambling, we were talking to our lenders, you know, people were telling us what to expect other bigger operators were like, Hey, you know, this is, this is, this is possible. If, you know, if your collections drops to 50%, this is kind of the path to take. Uh, But we fared very well. And we were so blessed that uh, the properties performed, you know, that way during the, during the COVID pandemic.
0: Yeah, it just speaks to the level, I think, of what, you know, recession resistance within mobile home parks and self-storage. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's a no-brainer. And, and the pandemic is really kind of the proof of that, of how, yeah. you know, phenomenal these asset classes are to invest in and, and the incredible return. So, yeah, I thought, I thought that was an incredible, uh you know, note to make here at the end. But I, I want to hit you with two last things. Neither of them are real estate related, but, you know, we're talking football in the beginning. And I know you're an avid Ironman competitor as well. I'm a huge, David Goggins fan I've I've read can't hurt me several times and I'm sure I'm sure you've read it as well and obviously he is you know super into the ultra world and that long distance um you know world of competing and I'm a prior U.S. Army Ranger we talk so much about nutrition and taking care of your body I'm curious your thoughts Andrew I mean can you take me through the proper nutrition process for getting ready to go uh, execute an Ironman or some type of ultra marathon like the 72 hours out 48 24 hours out because and the reason for this question is being an army ranger I mean I work with guys who refuse to put like Gatorade in their bodies they just put water and salt so I don't know if you have any you know remedies that you use or or whatever but can you just kind of step me through the proper nutrition for doing something really physically straining
1: yeah obviously hydrating and I've had cramping issues in the past uh so that's something that I try to prepare for heavily with salt pills and Pedialyte Uh, Pedialyte and pickle juice shots have been my two, like go-to, uh, things that I'll start a couple days beforehand, kind of getting started with. And then actually during the race, I'll have at each transition, uh, like a little thing of pickle juice, uh, and you know, some, some Pedialyte. So those are my two kind of go-to's now nutrition wise. uh, I'm a low carb guy, you you know, typically, uh, especially in the afternoons, but right before the race, you know, I'll start to, to have some carbs to try to build up, you know, those reserves to be able to you know, have energy during, uh, during a long race like that.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that goes into the mental preparation? If like, you know, you're doing a course this weekend, you're like, man, this course like kicks my ass every (laughs) single time I do it. I mean, I do it, but you know, it beats me up. Like any, anything to speak up to like the mental preparation of doing something physically challenging like that.
1: Dude, it's crazy. You know, one thing that I started doing is I there's a video that they show. Ironman does a great job with all of their events. I mean, it's first class, but they'll do a video where they'll actually go through the swim and they'll go through the, the bike and the run. And you can like watch the course and, and, you know, know what to expect when the Hills are coming, what mile do I need to be prepared for, for that long climb. And so I'll watch those and then I'll visualize also I'll sit and meditate and visualize the transitions, right? Because that's where a lot of time is lost is is transitioning from the swim to the bike and from the bike to the run. So I'll actually visualize, all right, what is what I I run up to my transition area. What do I do first? All right. I dry off my feet. I put on my socks. You know, I, then I put on my bike shoes, So I'm I'm visualizing everything before, before it actually happens. And then once I'm there, it just clicks and it's just so much smoother. It's like, I've already done it. It's like practicing anything, you know, it's just easier when you've already done it before. So uh, yeah, that's my mental tips.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And and again, I think that, you know, the most important real estate in the world, I tell everybody it's the six inches between your ears. It's, it's where it all begins, It's whether or not 100%. you yes. think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. So no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I'm writing all this down right now. Like I said, I come from a world where nutrition and, and physical preparation is a big deal as well. So I, I wanted to pick your brain on that. And the last thing I had for you and kind of just going back to the football piece, I mean, I grew up, you know, emulating some of those phenomenal incredible, incredible, incredible NFL linebackers growing up and, and I'm stationed in the military still in Oklahoma. And when I go to Sooner games, guys are still wearing like Brian Bosworth jerseys and stuff like that. (laughs) I mean, you growing up, Andrew, I mean, did you emulate guys? You know, who did you emulate? Again, I grew up looking up to guys like, um, Bill Romanowski, Brian Urlacher, guys like that. I mean, again, you were the 2009 mineral water bowl, defensive MVP, (laughs) Uh I think multiple time all conference, all American. I mean, who did you grow up looking up to? I'm curious.
1: So do you remember Zach Thomas?
0: Who, who did he play for? I can't
1: play for the Miami Dolphins.
0: Okay. Do you remember him?
1: No, so he I was don't. he was a tough linebacker, man. And then uh, you know, Derek Brooks from the book from the Bucks. I grew up in Central Florida. So okay. uh, Derek Brooks was was just an awesome athlete. Uh, you know, Brian Urlacher was another one. I had his jersey, his Bears jersey. I would I would wear as a kid and yeah i mean all of those you know elite athletes it was just fun to watch them and and try to emulate them when i played
0: yeah i, I appreciate that and like i said i i go to sooner games today and people are still wearing like the brian boswell shirt and <laughs> stuff like that and i know all those guys were like roided back in the day and, and stuff like that and obviously you were like an under you were probably more of like an undersized linebacker but it's 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 cool to look up to those guys and And, you know, see what's possible. So, but Andrew, I I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I mean, it was an incredible discussion. And like I said, the whole intent of today was really to bring you on and just help my audience crush that stigma of why these asset classes are such an amazing investment. And and the people who want to learn more about you, who are motivated, who are ready to invest in mobile home parts and self-storage, where's the best place to get a hold of you, Andrew? I mean, what platforms are you on? Where can people reach you at?
1: Yeah, the best way to contact us would be just on our website. Which is keelteam.com, just K E E L T E A M.com. Uh, there's a contact form on there. You can reach out and someone will get in touch with you, you know, ASAP.
0: Awesome. Andrew, I cannot thank you again. You've joined a long list of wealth science mobile home park titans. You, Jeff Cook, Kevin Buck, we've had incredible people on you. You now join that list, and I can't thank you enough for coming on today.
1: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and I know Jeff and Kevin and they're, they're great all-stars in the space as well. But uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Jesse.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. please. Do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.